GPT-5 is gonna drop in the next 12 months and it's gonna transform marketing forever. On this show, we are gonna bring you into the future to show you what happens when GPT-5 is launched and used by the world. We're gonna tell you how you can monetize co-pilots and the customers. We're gonna show you how AI can create brand new segments for marketing. We're gonna show you why marketers will have their own personalization engines and the marketing skills of the future that will make you successful in this era. Let's get into today's show. There is no secret formula for scaling customer support and boosting customer satisfaction. But there is the all new HubSpot service hub, bringing service and support together in one platform so you can deliver the best experiences possible and free up a rep's time with AI-powered help desk, all so you can keep customers happy. Secrets out. Service Hub is a game changer. Visit HubSpot.com service to learn more. Hey guys, I'm Kieran Flanagan, the CMO over at Zapier. I'm here as always with Kip Bodner, the CMO over at HubSpot, and we have got an incredible show for you today. Kieran, you have done a little bit of work that you want to walk everybody through today. You've done a kind of thought exercise of like, what if search engines aren't a part of our marketing strategy in the future? What the heck would we actually do? So many marketers rely on search, rely on paid search, search engine optimization, all of those strategies to get customers. And you're going to talk to us a little bit about what if you couldn't do that? Right. I am going to give you a glimpse of a hypothetical future. So I hopped into my marketing time machine. It is 2026. Do not argue with me on the date. Let's just imagine (laughs) evolution happens much more rapidly than you think. So it's 2026. You and I have just come back from a vacation with our other halves from Bordeaux. We've drunk a lot of good red wine. Oh, We've fantastic. been really riffing on the future of marketing kit because what happened was GPT-5, the reliability in that LLM and the reliability in chat GPT because of that large language model got much more reliable, which meant when you asked it 10,000 questions, it would for the most part be pretty accurate in giving you 10,000 answers. Even when there's subjectivity, it could like bring you through that subjectivity and give you a pretty coherent answer. This was the tipping point for when people gravitated from Google's traditional blue link search engine to these kind of AI co-pilots. Now what happened, like Google initially wanted to try to integrate these AI features into its search engine. Actually, this is a real thing that happened. They released a press release recently. Remember, you and I did an episode back in May. It was on Search Labs. Was there a big release? We were release? so blown away with what they were doing, Karen. Now, it turns out they faked the product marketing video, and now they actually <laughs> faked the Search Labs because what they're doing is they're using Search Labs to develop features, and they want to integrate them into their core search engine. Why do they want to do that? Because they do not want to disrupt the AdWords model. That's correct. Their ad revenue model. But in this future, what happened was ChatGPT and these co-pilots got so good, they just had no other choice but to disrupt their own model. And now we live in a world where people primarily use AI chat to get search knowledge. And they only really use Google search engine to clarify or to make sure that the ChatGPT is accurate, right? And those blue links are a pain. And so in that world where we really don't use search engines and you don't really get search traffic in the same way you did 
what actually happened to marketers? What did marketers do? And for this episode, we are going to give you the hypothetical future that you all may actually live in and what your marketing plan might look like in two to three years. And so I want to go into the very first thing and see what you think about this, Kip, right? So Okay, let's do it. All right, so we have co-pilots, right? Like that's one thing we're getting, right? So you have Microsoft Copilot, you have ChatGBT, you have all these different co-pilots, right? Now, the interesting thing about these co-pilots is when the large language models, when the LLMs all become very, very similar, which means the experience becomes very similar, it's really just a race to the bottom, right? Yeah. It's a race to the bottom on price. And actually, if you look at a lot of the kind of PR and stuff coming from OpenAI and these kind of co companies, they think the price um, of these models will come down over time, right? So they're able to reduce costs. And so when you think about how they monetize, I think they're going to monetize through these subscription packages, which they have now, but I think they'll go down the Netflix model. Like what have these streaming services found out? They found out that there is very high churn when there's a lot of competition. And because of that, they are starting to look like traditional TV stations where they have a mix of subscription packages and ads. And I think that's what we'll see in a lot of these co-pilots. We'll see these ads models. And so when you see these ads models, I think the only way marketers will be able to leverage co-pilots to grow their business will not be through anything organic. And I can get into why I think that is. It will actually be through ads, right? And I think ads will be deeply integrated into the experience. Think about the experience we covered for mm -hmm. search labs from Google. The AI itself was crafting the user interface on the fly, right? It was building apps. It was building all of these different things to answer the search. I think what you will do is you'll hook your technology into the platform and it will be able to like serve the ad, build the lead gen form, build a transaction flow, build a checkout, do it all within the ads co-pilot experience and be able to tell you like, okay, you captured X amount of traffic, you captured X amount of leads, they cost you X amount of money, they converted at X amount of rate to X amount of customers. And the only thing you'll literally be able to do is either increase your spend to get more people like that or decrease your spend or try new audiences. So you'll primarily be fighting and battle against other brands on price. So yes, we'll get co-pilots, but I don't think there's going to be a lot we're going to be able to do with them other than spend money through the ads, which are optimized perfectly by AI. So that's my first thing is like get co-pilots, monetize through ads. I have a very spicy, interesting take on this, Karen, which is I generally agree with you. But what this tells me is this is like affiliate marketing 2.0. It's like AI-led affiliate marketing. AI is the affiliate, actually, for everyone. <laughs> AI, AI is the affiliate, which is kind of clever, right? Uh, for folks who aren't familiar with affiliate marketing, affiliate marketing is, hey, I go and work with different publishers, websites, businesses, and I offer some type of fee per lead, per customer referral, per sign-up, whatever it is. And then we build these kind of custom campaigns and offers to try to generate those. And what we're essentially saying is AI in the future will do those affiliate campaigns in real time. And there'll just be a bidding war across people who want to run those campaigns. Yes. And so part of this is like, we want to give you a look into the future, but help you prepare for the future today. There are a lot of people out there who don't understand affiliate marketing, don't do much of affiliate marketing. It's probably a good time to start understanding maybe making affiliate marketing a little bit part of your mix because as the search and discovery experience evolves and it becomes more organic, it becomes more integrated, what is now like a classic affiliate experience is going to be much closer to what that ad unit is going to look like and work like, which is like what you're arguing, Kieran, which I completely agree with. I think there's just 
some stepping stones you can take as a marketer today to get there? Right. I think the um, tough thing or the challenging thing in this world for a marketer is how much leverage they can get over competitors outside of just spending more money. That's the problem. And I think my kind of TLDR here is in the co-pilot anyway, and these kind of AI generated ads, it's primarily going to be a budget game because the AI is going to be able to understand how to perfectly craft the copy, perfectly craft the audience segmentation and the kind of whatever the checkout experience may be. And the fact that it will all happen within the app, right? It actually takes a lot of the audience away from needing to come even to your website because you can actually build these user experiences within the app. We saw that through Google's search engine labs. The thing that I haven't covered here is much more of the internet will go video, right? Mm -hmm. And video is actually where you can tell a great story and where you can have creativity. And I don't think AI is going to be able to do that in the same way a human will be able to do that. So there's some sort of video component here that I don't know how it gets integrated into a co-pilot because we, like when you see GPT-5 and it comes out with multimodal, maybe then we'll get an idea of how multimodal. Or- I know exactly how this is going to work, dude. Video and co-pilot, tell me. Well, what's going to happen is video is going to be a format within co-pilot. Right. Because there are some things that are just inherently better, better explained over video, right? And then what's going to happen if you look at some of this early technology is that what is now things like Hagen and some of these video dubbing and video model technologies out there, they're going to create real-time ad insertions that are essentially host-read into those videos. So let's say you and I have a video on an awesome topic. Maybe it's like brand marketing or whatever. And somebody wants to promote their brand marketing agency. They'll put a bid in and you or I won. We'll have a 30 second insert where we are reading about their brand marketing agency. We're telling you about it. We're telling (laughs) you to check out their guide, whatever. But it's all happening in real time. That's a real time ad insertion because of these models. And so it's an extension of the advertising model you're talking about here. That will happen actually. It totally will happen. You hadn't thought of that yet, but it's going to happen. Like, let's just make sure the listeners understand that. So Kip and I record an episode for 60 minutes and we upload it to one of these AI tools, these video tools. Because we've uploaded 60 minutes of footage, it will actually have enough footage to be able to replicate us in any way it wants, right? And so what Kip's saying is that you will actually have a third party be able to bid to appear in that episode and the AI will be able to create the ad from the script that that third party uploads and just recreate it as if we are telling that ad and I hadn't thought about that. The one thing I will say is what people may not be ready for is when you have GPT-5, you can actually ask ChatGPT an answer and then you can say, make me a video. Yes, to explain that to, to answer me. that instead of a tech or make me audio to explain that to me. And so that's the other thing is video will come inside of these code pilots through these different models. So Copilot, I think, is going to be a new channel for us, but it does not replace the organic traffic we used to get from search engines. People may disagree with that. And so the reason I think it does not replace the traffic we get from search engines is because, number one, the answers are so reliable that it answers the question within the co-pilot experience. And so you never have to click on anything to go to the website. Number two, and I have spent a lot of time here. And so I'm not an expert, but I have read a lot. I spent about two hours yesterday. I spent countless hours talking to the different co-pilots about this, which is why do you pick the things you pick? Mm-hmm. and give me the research. And I went down a whole black hole. I found maybe, because <laughs> because it's me, I found literally maybe a like black hat search technique called poisoning. You know, where you, you know, when you get used to do like, um, 
build really dodgy links. Not you, yeah. me. I should say me. When I used to build, but so basically, when I used when I used, used to, to build go like insert links, links everywhere to like back to your website. Well, there's this thing called poisoning, which is basically create content on mass to influence the AI mm-hmm. LLM model to think about your brand in that way, right? So let's imagine ChatGPT, the next model is going to train right now. And so you want to poison the web with a huge avalanche of content that describes your product and brand in a certain way. So it gets trained on that data. So in the next iteration, it thinks of your brand or product in that way. And so where I'm going with it, I didn't even think I finished my my original thought here, which <laughs> is what all those hours have showed me is no one really knows why the LLM model picks the answer it does, not even Correct. the engineers who work in it because it has creativity baked within the code, right? And maybe that is not the completely right answer, but more intelligent than me. But that means there's just no way to optimize it, right? There's no way for people to be able to understand like, oh, well, if I do these things, then I can actually increase the amount of times I get surfed in these kind of AI co-pilots. So it's just not going to be a like-for-like in terms of what we've been used to on search engines. All right, the next thing that happened, and we've talked about this, so this one is not a surprise for any of our listeners. That's not a surprise. The first wave really of AI software products was write-in assistants. Mm -hmm. They're just ubiquitous. They're everywhere. I think the next wave, we already see some of this, is multimodal content tools. So GPT-5, the huge unlock is it's going to go full multimodal, which means you can go text to video, video to text, audio to text, whatever you want. And I think what will happen is these tools will help marketers think in a new way because you actually have to think of your idea in a multimodal format, right? You have to think about how does this idea work across a multitude of different formats? What will happen is most marketers are not good at content. So multimodal will allow those marketers to create more bad content in more bad formats, right? So it doesn't make you better at content, right? It makes the best people way better because tools are no longer a blocker. They can take their creativity, they can take their ideas, and they can release them into the wild in a multitude of different formats. And I think media is a de facto part of your marketing stack in the future, right? It's why you and I wanted to buy The Hustle because we believed this years ago. And I believe this will become a prevalent part of every single marketer's tool set and how they actually go to market. Well, it goes back to what you were just talking about, about poisoning, Kieran, actually, which is, I promise I'm going to make a good and productive point and not just keep talking about black hat AI <laughs> I should tactics. Actually, we should do a show about black hat AI. It's such like an on-brand show for me to do. <laughs> <laughs> I would, I, nothing could make me feel more at home than a black hat AI show. <laughs> I, would, I would feel like I was truly home. But I think one of the things you and I have learned over the years is that any black hat strategy has a white hat or good sustainable version to it. Yes. Right? Yeah. And this is the good sustainable version right. of what you were talking about. If you believe that co-pilots and these LLMs are going to power search and power discovery, then you need to have your story across multiple media channels and media formats. When we talk media, that's what we're talking about. We're talking email newsletters, video, podcasts, blog articles. We're talking about short-form video, long-form video, those are the things that we're talking about. And if you have these very differentiated media channels, then you are inherently at an advantage because a lot of these models are going to want to provide multimodal or aka multi-format options to their consumers 
So your brand and your company will already be at an advantage to rank and have the right perception by that LLM, right? So I think this multimedia point you're making is actually the white hat version of poisoning a model. Right. Most marketing we do today came from the sketchy of course. version of marketing. Like I, I'm, I think I told you what the book I'm reading right now. I've gone crazy on biographies of historical figures. Oh, same. Like Napoleon, Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar. There's a guy called, if you're reading, so I, I got it from the dude who does the Founders Podcast, but there's a biographer called Paul Johnson mm-hmm. and he does biographies, but they're like 100, 150 pages. So like, I think most biographies are thousands of pages. Yeah, they're real. And so he's my like uh, person of choice. But where was I going? I was going with some, <laughs> oh, sorry. I think I told you the book I was reading was like the book on the Sacklers, right? I'm like, mm-hmm. if you actually look at what they really were, were marketers and like a sketchy version of marketers. But if you actually just took what they really did, you can see there's all white hat versions of them, right? Like copyright and like all partnerships, like all, all of these different things. The thing I would say about this is marketers have traditionally not been good here, right? If you actually take the, maybe this is like skewed towards B2B, but we have lived through an era of marketers who have excelled at data and tooling, yeah. right? Data and tooling. Like if you look at a lot of the marketing leaders within the B2B space, they really are great like at the data part of it and like the tooling part of it, how to set up the bar tech, know the tools, all the data. I would argue that is going to be less important over time because AI will make software much easier to use and it will be able to do all the kind of data analysis and benchmarking and prediction modeling for you. And so actually this kind of stuff becomes much more important. And if you are starting your career today or you're kind of in your career and want to become a marketing leader, This is what I would get really good at is like storytelling through multiple content formats because you will be much better than the existing population of marketing leaders that are out there, I think. First of all, I agree with that. Second of all, this is apparently the reading corner here because we're talking about the books we're reading. But (laughs) I'm reading Morgan Housel's book, Same as Ever. Oh, I bought that. Really amazing book. Is it really good? Highly recommend. We got to find a way to get Morgan on the show. His writing is exceptional. Very, very good writing. And the premise of that book is there are a lot of things that change and there's some things that don't. And part of how you take advantage in life is to be very clear on the things that change. We're here doing a show today that's a crystal ball that's talking about the things that are going to change. But part of it's also knowing what's not going to change. And storytelling and the importance of storytelling is something that's not going to change. What we're telling you is going to change is the formats and the breadth of which you're going to need to tell those stories. But storytelling isn't going to change. In fact, I would go far as to say, Kieran, he has a couple chapters in there about storytelling and like the shortcomings of logic and why logic isn't sufficient in that book that I think every marketer should read. Even if you don't read the whole book, those couple of chapters would be required reading in my like marketing library. Well, you know what I find fascinating about some of these kind of historical figures, especially like Napoleon, Alexander the Great, isn't just that the way they lived their lives and the way they actually ended up losing was like exactly the same, but it's actually storytelling. So Alexander the Great's a great example where his story ended in terms of like his death. Now I'm not going to get the date exactly right because I get confused with the BC dates because they go down <laughs> instead of up. Yeah. But it's like 327, right? So like yep. a lot of thousands of years ago, right? Netflix are about to do a new show about him. It's coming out in the next couple of months because I'm really excited about it. So his story is still being told you know, thousands of years later. And it's actually because he always had narrators mm. creating content around his life 
Like he, they followed him. They created content wherever he went. They created sculptures wherever he went. Napoleon was the exact same. One of the reasons Napoleon had the success he had was because he learned how to actually craft stories to the public at that time in a way that kind of like ingratiated himself to them. And so like, it's just the most important part. Humans are storytelling machines, and that is how we learn about the world. And so it's just the most important skill set to learn. We don't remember facts, we remember stories. Yes. That's one of the yeah. four takeaways from Morgan's book, and it's a good way to end that section. And so what happens? So like, okay, this is the future. We have the co-pilots. Now we have multimodal content strategies. What I think what happens then is marketers realize that they actually have to set their content teams up like a team of creators, right? They have to rethink how they think about content within their own organizations. And I think what we've done historically in B2B is just hired people who can do blogging and say, go make this work, go make that work, go launch a podcast. And actually, we don't realize that those disciplines are lifelong disciplines that you have to learn to be really great at. And I think creators are great at them. I think in the future, we'll be able to craft contracts that work for creators to work in-house. So you'll hire the best person you can for podcasting, for YouTube, for short form video, and you'll compensate those people very differently. I think you will compensate a creator based upon some sort of flat wage that they get, flat salary, but then based upon the growth of their channel. And there'll be some sort of contract to like, when that creator leaves, they can actually either take their show with them or you have to buy the show off them based upon how successful it is. And I think you'll have to rethink how you do this. The way that you set up your contracts to work with creators in the future will be the most important part of your content strategy. That is my hot take for where we live in the future and what marketers have to excel at. Well, I think that's building off of the like IP intellectual property and creator intersection is very foggy right now. And you're proposing that we're going to get smart about how to clean that up. And that is going to be an important playbook for marketers in the future. And as somebody who like lives at the intersection of that right now, I completely agree with you. Right. I think code gets much cheaper. What are other ways that we can way, way replace organic traffic? Organic traffic's been the staple of how we've grown our companies, our products, our brands. It's been awesome. I think marketers are going to get much better at extending their products to create these freemium tools around the use cases. Like code gets 50 times cheaper. And then you have these marketers who can use AI tools to actually extend their product and really interesting ways and not be beholden to the product team or the engineering team. They can do it themselves. Mm -hmm. Maybe they have a couple of engineers working on the marketing team and they can actually say, hey, like we extend the product in this way. We can actually acquire traffic in some way because we can make that use case shareable. And there has to be some sort of linear path back to the product. But I see a lot of companies do. And the reason they go wrong with freemium is because they create a freemium tool, but there's no real reason to go from the freemium tool to the pay tool. So you have to get that part right. And I think this is really competitive, right? Because it's super competitive to grow any kind of product. And so just because it's free doesn't mean you'll get a ready-made audience for it. But that is definitely one way that you can actually navigate around the loss of organic traffic and acquire users in different ways. So that's the other thing as I think we have the content, the multimodal, the creators, and then I think we get much more smart around freemium tools that solve single use cases. I largely agree with you. And the, one, the way I would frame this, right, is there's a great Charlie Munger quote that a lot of your success is dependent on like surfing a wave, right? Like finding a trend and just like staying on that trend and taking advantage of that trend. And when you're making predictions, it's very helpful when that prediction is an extension of a current trend, right? 
And what I would argue with this one, where you're saying, hey, the cost of writing code, developing code is going to decrease by 50x, that's an extension of what's happened. If you think back like 10 years ago, the amount of times a marketer would say, I'm waiting for IT or I'm waiting an engineer to do something was X. And today it is like 50 times less than that, right? Like you have so much better technology. You have so much more self-serve technology. Just keep drawing that line out. It's going to keep happening, right? Like it's going to continue to go in that direction. And Kieran, you're doing the right thing, which is you're pushing everybody to say, all right, if that line keeps going out into the future and that keeps getting cheaper and cheaper, how can I take advantage of that? And one of the ways to take advantage of that is building more free tools or like free entry points to my product, to my service to help new customers discover me. Yeah, I, I think we've lived in an era where there's been more ideas than engineers. Yes, I love this. Right? And so there's a ton of great ideas out there, but there's just not enough engineers to help us do them. Like I, even back in HubSpot, we used to look at some of the best performing posts and try to consider if we should actually turn them into tools. And we actually did turn some of them into tools. And Zapier, we're very similar in that we look for you know, interesting parts of the customer journey that could actually be served if we actually created a Chrome extension or a different tool. Now, the problem it always isn't that we don't have an idea that we would love to try. It's just so we have scarcity of engineers who are building products, which are higher order things, the things that customers actually pay for. But what happens when you actually have more engineering power, doesn't necessarily have to be through a human, than actually ideas? And I think that is the optimistic view of what's going to happen, right? You have a lot of pessimistic views of what AI brings, but I actually wonder if we get a ton of ability to create code and we actually are able to create way more interesting stuff because there's just this backlog of ideas that want to come free. I think that's true. I also think, I don't know, I'm older and as I get older, I feel somewhat wiser. I'm not as wise as I thought I was going to feel at this age, but somewhat <laughs> wiser. And when I was younger, I used to think, oh, if I could only have an idea that was good. Right, right. And now it's like, gosh, I have a thousand ideas that are good. I have no shortage of good ideas. The constraint is some of the technology skills to execute those ideas. And in the future, what we're saying is those technology skills are going to go away. And then it's just going to come down to a human's ability to lead and see that project through and execute it and iterate on the fine details, which is actually where all the fun is. And I think if you're going to be an optimist like me, that's a very fun world to work in in the future. Yeah, I think um, the fact that you can bring your ideas to life in code will be hugely exciting for marketers. I totally agree. All right, cool. Next thing is, I think in the future, marketers own more of the customer journey and they have an AI-powered CRM. Let's go, marketers. Which is their personalization engine, right? So like small things an AI can do for a CRM is clean up your lists, right? We're working on that at HubSpot. I hear you. Right, all these simplistic things. But the big thing is it can collect data around the different customer journeys and then personalize that through the video, email, chat, website. And I think the thing that I took from our conversation with Nicholas, because I've been going back and forth on, well, I think that's true, right? I think marketers are at the epicenter of being able to personalize these kind of customer journeys. And I think the CRM actually becomes nearly more for a marketer than it even is for a salesperson because a marketer will actually eat up a bunch of the customer journey and do a bunch of things for the salespeople through the CRM. And I think that, from talking to Nicholas, and I think he's right, is the experience will be so good that even though you know this is from an AI, you don't care, right? Because humans only care. care about a better experience. And I think more B2B transactions go touchless because why talk to a human unless you need to talk to a human? And so by, I ended this with like the number of CROs, chief customer officers or chief revenue officers we see from a marketing background grow because marketing owns so much more influence across the entirety of the customer journey. 
And the skills of marketers are going to become more important in customer success sales exactly. and other revenue-based disciplines, right? Which is part of the point we're making here. I would also say as a little tease, as a reminder, Kieran's about to have a baby and he'll be hanging out with his, his baby for a while. And I'm going to have a series of guest hosts on the show. And one of the folks, Kieran, I'm going to have Emmy come on and we're going to go through ah, some of our awesome. AI experiments that we're doing at HubSpot that point to this. I have some very interesting results to share. Plus, we're going to get under the hood and walk through like how you actually do it. But as you see some of these things, you start to realize that this point is completely right. Like I will show some examples where you're like, oh yeah, that's, that is an obvious thing that is going to happen. Awesome. Tune in for the Emmy show. Emmy is incredible. She is incredible. More Emmy on this show. <laughs> Definitely. All right. We can wrap with this because this okay, may be my favorite one because we get a new segment, right? So forever we have built our segmentation of firmographic, demographic, and engagement. Now engagement has been to me the most interesting part of the past 10 years because <laughs> the thing I loved about product-led growth and when I did this for HubSpot, it was just like, I built the kind of demand engine for international and the traditional B2B way, firmographic, demographic, and some engagement, like click on the email, look at the website, right? But then you moved into the product. Wow, your engagement just went up 10x in terms of the quality you had because they're yes. using the product. Well, I think we get a new segment, which is emotional, right? And this is very prevalent in B2C, but will become more prevalent in B2B. So what is the emotional segment? I think AI is going to be able to gather data from different touch points, your social media, your customer service, your sales calls, your feedback forums, your website, your product engagement, your chat, your email responses, all of these different places. And it's going to be able to analyze that data for emotional cues, right? Is this person confused? Is this person mm -hmm. frustrated? Is this person ready to buy? Is this person, you know, a long way away from buying? And it's going to be able to like segment the audience using those emotional cues. So now you have demographic, firmographic, and then you have emotional, which emotional contains your engagement. And you're going to be able to align your campaigns much better, right? If you had a segment of people who are newly ready to buy, like showing all of the sign signals that they were ready to buy, and we're in that kind of like buy-in uh, state that you could actually market to them in a very different way than like these people who are frustrated. They don't really know where to go. They're confused. And I think that is going to allow us to laser target our marketing in ways that we haven't done before and able to bring um, elicit much more emotional responses through the work we do to the different segments that we have in our user and customer base. Well, I laughed at the beginning of this because... You're one of the least emotional people I know. And for this to be like I your favorite thing is like hilarious <laughs> to me. I'm sorry. I would be in the stoic segment and <laughs> the highly logical, unemotional segment. <laughs> I was like, oh, Kieran as like the emotional marketer. Dude, you're the same. I don't know what you're laughing at. You're the exact same. I, I will join to be the, the, the same segment of this as you. The AI will just kick us out of the segments. Kip and Kieran are not allowed in any of these segments. No, no. And... I should not be running your emotional marketing. But as a side note, the second thing it made me think of, Kieran, going back to predicting the future normally comes down to looking at the past. You're talking about the biographies you're reading. We've talked about some of the factors that come into all of this. You know what this is, Kieran? You remember the early days of social media where you had like these social listening apps yeah. and Radian 6 that Salesforce eventually bought and that kind of stuff? They all talked about sentiment. And we all thought sentiment was going to be this cool, powerful thing. And it turns out that it was very hand-wavy. You couldn't really operationalize it. It wasn't actionable. And unless you were like a big consumer company, it wasn't that valuable. And what you're really arguing is that that notion is now going to be ready for prime time because of AI and large language models and be able to scale and segment and operationalize 
off of that emotion and that sentiment. And I think you're right. And I hadn't thought about it at all. And I think it's a really good insight on your part, but I think it ties back to the last generation of marketing that was sentiment is the precursor for this new like emotional era and how we meet our persona customers and our target customers at kind of that emotional mindset level, just not the like needs and problem level. Yeah, I think the sentiment analysis of social was a good idea, not actionable, but it was too self-contained to social. What actually is happening now is this works really well if you have really great data aggregation, right? Like if you have all of your data sources captured and stored somewhere that an AI can actually do a ton of analysis at scale on language, like that's what an AI is great for. Like you plug in your Zoom calls, like one of the things I'm trying to do right now is plug in all of Zapier's G2 customer reviews, like to be able to aggregate those things and to actually bring out the core themes. And I think that's where AI is going to differentiate itself is like, I can actually take all of these language sources and be able to do segment people based upon these kind of emotional cues. Yeah. A lot of times for everybody watching, these shows are like kind of compounding collections of our thoughts that we build up and eventually we'll write a book. We'll do something, we'll do something fun with them all. But I wouldn't have gotten there. And that's like a good thought to move into the archive as we're kind of thinking about the future, building for the future. So I thought that was really good. I thought it was a great parable of looking into what could a marketer's life be a couple of years down the road and the fact that it could be drastically different. I think if you're going to take one thing away as well, if you're a marketer to listen to this, building your career, wanting to be a leader, it's that we have lived through an era, and I'm probably part of it because I'm from an engineering background with a software developer, where like if you had really good data skills, you had really good analytical skills, you had really good tooling skills, you had really good kind of science skills, then you were actually totally. accelerated in your career. Because before that, actually, it was a lot of positioning and brand and those kind of things that were unmeasurable. But then we went, hey, we really want to measure this stuff, right? I think the thing is we were going to move back in towards a little bit more of the arts and crafts. I think you're a big proponent that marketing is a lot like crafts. And we're going to move towards marketers who can actually really build things and actually really do things and actually craft things like messaging, positioning, stories, content, all these kind of things. Now, it doesn't mean the things I all mentioned that are important today are not going to be somewhat important in the future. But AI is incredible at data analysis. AI is going to make tooling much, much easier. AI is going to help with a lot of the science, right? Because that's where it excels. But it does not excel in the craft, right? I have still yet to ship a single thing that AI has ever wrote for me, right? Never, 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 never. Now, have I used it as an assistant to do research? Yes, because it's a great search engine. But I think the skill sets of a marketer are gonna change dramatically in the next era of marketing. I could not agree more. I think it's the perfect note to end on. Thank you all for taking a little trip to the future with us. We will be back very soon on a new episode of Marketing Into the Green. We'll be right back. But before, let me tell you about another podcast I love. Nudge, hosted by Phil Agnew, is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. Ever noticed how the smallest changes can have the biggest impact? On Nudge, you learn simple evidence-backed tips to help you kick bad habits, get a raise, grow a business. Every bite-sized 20-minute show comes packed with practical advice. Nudge is fast-paced, but it's still insightful with real-world examples that you can apply. Oh, and it's the UK's fastest growing business podcast. 
If you want an MBA's worth of insight in one podcast, this is the right show for you. Entrepreneurs will love this show because it's filled with repeatable proven studies, not hearsay and one-off success stories. You're going to love the show because I was interviewed by Phil. You can go check out my episode. And I recently listened to an awesome episode. It's called Six Scientifically Proven Persuasion Techniques. It's a must listen for anyone in marketing. Listen to Nudge wherever you get your podcasts.